Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. quick before we get the show started, I want to share with you something that we're really excited about. Mike and I launched Principles of Program Design just about two years ago. And since then, we've been working really hard on building more and more content. And we're finally ready to release some of that great new stuff. We're having a updated version of our original online foundations course where we've added three new bonus chapters. We've also updated our live course. And we're going to be doing that in April at Scale of Strength in Massachusetts. We also have three brand new online courses, including our exercise coach course, where we teach you our belt system of how we progress and regress and coach exercises, as well as group mastery, where Mike shares his systems for how he implements his successful group fitness training programs up at Skill of Strength, as well as something called Primed, where we teach you about programming warmups And then in addition to that, we're also launching a virtual mentorship where we're going to work hands-on with a select handful of coaches and trainers working with you every week on how to develop the best systems and programs to build a successful career. And then in addition to that, we're putting together a free ebook as well as a supporting webinar where we're going to give you our top 10 tips to a successful career in the fitness industry. We're going to share with you our secrets and our systems that we use that have helped us open up our facilities, as well as speak around the world and work with some of the best athletes uh, out there. And so to get more information on all of this, go to principleswebinar.com and you can find out about all the new and exciting stuff. Now, let's get ready to get started with the show. And away we go. Here we go with the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry. We are at episode number 61. And Mike, we got something a little different today uh, for the audience. Yeah, you know, normally we have uh, some incredible guests that, uh, you know, share a ton of knowledge with us. But uh, today you're going to have to listen to us to talk about training. Um, honestly, you know, we've been in this for a long time, uh, you know, combined almost 50 years. And, and uh We have learned a lot because we've also messed up a lot, but uh, fortunately for us, we've been able to learn from those mistakes and, and, um, you know, have some success in our given field. And and, uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, you know, a couple things, but um, it's really about how we've designed these systems over time to trim the fat to really find ways to build a sustainable business, but also at the same time, make sure that your clients are continuing to reach their goals. Uh, They understand the process. And really what this is about is just teaching you how to interact with people 
and in a much deeper way, in a much more meaningful way than just trying to really get a sale. And that's what it's all about. And that's why I'm really pumped to talk to you about today's podcast. Yeah. So the timing of it, you know, we've, we've really lucked out in 60 episodes and we've had some really incredible guests so far. And um, along the way, Mike and I, in our meetings, keep talking about how we want to share some of the information that we're releasing in our new courses uh, that launch on September 15th. So we said, why don't we start sneaking in some podcasts that show some elements of what we're working on. And the one thing that, that we talked about quite a bit and that we share is the fitness client journey. Right. And we're going to kind of talk about it from both sides. We want to talk about it from, from the pro side as a trainer, coach, even clinician. Um, what the process should be before that person even walks in the door to when they walk in the door to keeping them in the door um, and everything that goes into that. And then also understanding it from the other side of things and understanding it from the client's perspective and from the patient's perspective of what are some of the things that we should be thinking about and maybe some of the things we really need to do better. So one of the things we always talk about, and, and Mike's a huge Simon Sinek fan, is, is starting with why. Like, why are we even doing this? Why are we doing this professionally? And then why is this person here? Like, if you don't know why they're here and you just start jumping in, then it's more about you. It's not about them. And, and unfortunately, that's what we do a lot. And Mike, you may know the stat. I know uh, someone's talking about this in, in one of our calls. Like, the average time, I think they time physical therapists. The average time that they actually listen to their patients in an initial console, I think it was like eight seconds, like something crazy yeah. like that, right? And so like, it, it, there's no way the person on the receiving end of that feels like this is about them. This is totally about whatever my thing is. And so in our live course, we do an, a thing where we kind of poke people a little bit and we say, what's your thing? And what do we mean by that? We mean... If someone were to introduce you, give kind of the elevator pitch for you, say, hey, I want you to meet Mike. Mike, he's my trainer and he's a blank. What are they going to say? And they say, well, he's a kettlebell guy. He's an FMS guy. He's whatever. What is that label? And honestly, if you looked yourself in the mirror, what's that label that you've kind of had slapped on you? And both of us have had the FMS label slapped on us. And well, hey, look, I've taught for them for 15 years. Mike, you're on what, you know, eight or 10 years teaching with them. So rightfully, we are FMS guys. But if you think all we do is stand around with test kits and test people's leg raises and do uh, corrective exercise all day, it's it's. It's a, it's a huge foundation what we do, but it's not all we do by any means. And so talk about, Mike, a little bit about how we can get people to, get what we, so we say, get out of your silo. Well, you know, I, I think the first step is, is awareness. And I think a lot of people don't even realize they're in a silo. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about the what's your thing situation and everybody's got a thing, but the problem is, is people that have their own confirmation bias and people that are so in love with their thing, they don't often realize the limitations of their thing, right? And then it starts becoming the situation where, you know, they, they start this creative process, but they start to overreach and they start to make up things that really, really don't fit because it doesn't really just align up with what they're trying to do. So what we need to understand is it's cool to have a thing, but if you are going to have your thing, you need to understand the limitations of that because you're going to attract certain individuals with a niche, but also because you are a niche individual, you need to uh, also understand not everybody's going to come through the door and work for you so or want to work with you. So you need to know sort of the, the intricacies of having a thing and, and being siloed because if you're going to silo yourself, you better be the best in the world in that niche so you can attract the best, but it's really hard to become the best. So 
Um, we have to be able to peek ourselves out of that silo and look around and say, are there other ways to do this? Are there better ways to help my clients? Are there different approaches that I can potentially take to help this individual? And I think we have to step back and always look through the different types of lenses in order to make decisions that are going to be the best for our clients. So I've been thinking about this a lot and, and taking it in context with some other things. And, and whether it was real life experiences, like there was a guy who was uh, in business, uh, actually in the town that I was in business at one time. And he was a really well-known strength guy, like champion power lifter, the whole deal. And he kind of got to next level, um, not necessarily credibility, but fame and, and um, uh, notoriety because he worked with a pretty well-known NFL player. Now, what happened was, is that player, the one thing that player really needed to get to the next level was strength. And this guy was really good at strength. So it was perfect. It was square peg, square hole. Now, the problem is, is that the five people that come in after them that think they're going to get the same results, they're round or triangle pegs and they're not going to get that same result. And he's chewing them up and spitting them out. And so if what I also realize is, as I'm starting to learn a whole lot more on, on things outside within the fitness industry, um, especially as we kind of prepare for this launch and Mike's heard me talk on and on about some of the business stuff I've been learning and getting totally into Alex Harmozy and all these different people who are, who are brilliant business minds. And they talk about how the riches are in the niches and that if you really want to separate yourself and you just go out and say, oh, I train everybody. Well, you can stand in Times Square and can you train everybody there? Like, how do you market to that? And I think that's true. But I think on the training side, I think you're really limited if you keep yourself into only one way to train in, ter in terms of how you, in terms of how you train, I think find a niche in terms of how you train. I think if you only have one way and your only thing is kettlebells or your only thing is mobility work or corrective exercise or, or sprint work, whatever it is, then you're missing out on a whole lot of stuff. And so I think one of the things that's benefited me most in my career is learning from so many different disciplines. You know, when I was kind of coming up, my brother was going to PT school and I would take his Shirley Sarman books and his, his Yonda books and, and learn all that stuff. I would learn about other things outside of uh, the general fitness circles and learn things like about Feldenkrais and, and um, Rolfing and learn about Alexander technique and all these things that were non-traditional things. And how do I blend this all into a soup that makes me so unique and so more well-prepared than any other coaches or trainers that I'm competing against? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you know, based off of the niche conversation, it's important to differentiate the difference between a niche and a modality. Like a modality is like, if you're a kettlebell, cool. So the modality or the, the weapon of choice is the kettlebell, but the niche could be, well, you know, you, you train fighters or you train baseball players, but the difference is, is are you, like you said, are you, are you forcing the modality down the throat of someone who does not need it or is not going to benefit from it? But like you said, the outlier, it's like square peg, square hole. It's like, perfect. It's going to fit. But the problem is, is that's like having your first client be a professional athlete and they never couldn't but you take the credit because they were successful. But look, if you start to work with a genetic freak and they pick the right parents and they're already an outlier, like just don't screw them up and they're going to do very, very well. But here's the scoop. They never couldn't. So you think that you did this wonderful thing with this individual that was so gifted, but they were just gifted and you hit the lottery. Now, what's going to happen when you try to scale that and open a business because you've had so much success with the NFL guy or the MLS guy or whatever it is? 
what's going to happen when you want to scale that and you want to do that again and you don't get that outlier? What systems do you have? What's your starting point? How are you going to be able to make that work? Because you have no idea because it came so easy early on. And that's one of the issues that most people have is they just, maybe they strike gold here or there, but when the rubber meets the road, if they don't have scalable and repeatable ways to get people through the door, to coach, to teach, to, to, to retain, man, it doesn't matter. And I see that time and time again. Actually, I had a cool experience. It's funny you mentioned it just literally this morning that a client I was working with and talking about like the difference between being good versus really good versus great and having the systems there. So like this, this is a guy who came in uh, super athletic, former athlete. Um, who's had a, a ton of, of upper body issues between neck and shoulder and T-spine and rib cage, just constantly uncomfortable to the point where he's having neck issues, getting tingling in his hands and came to me because he had tried everything else, chiropractor, physical therapist, neuros, uh, dermatologist, you name it, and gotten no answers. And so the first step was, you know, kind of putting him through the basics of, okay, well, let's just see what your movement looks like. Let's look through put you, the very basic FMS. Let's put you through uh, some, some general testing. And we found some holes in there. And mm -hmm. so we said, okay, let's address those first. At the same time, like Hubert had been told, you can't work out. You got to stop working out. And he was, you know, really feeling crap. So now that creates this, this, you know, kind of downward cycle that he's in. Cause he feels like crap. He's, he's like, I'm a mushy mess. So I'm like, I got to figure out a way that you can still work out while we're doing this simultaneously. And that becomes a little bit more artful. You got to have some systems for that. Right. So he gave it to him. So not only is the guy decreases symptoms, 75%, if not more uh, within a week or two, but he's also put on a significant amount of lean body mass. He's lost body fat. Like, so everything's going great. Okay. So most trainers, you and I could teach to do that. What we did in probably a day, if not less, right? And on top of that, that just being able to do that separates you from 90% of the industry there. Like you're already in the top 10% just doing that. Now, where do you get to the top two or 5% is when he comes back and says, look, I'm 75% of the way, but I still have some stuff going on. And now today I test him and his FMS is great. His motor control screen is great. His grip strength is great. All his orthopedic tests are great. Okay. Why are you still having this issue? All right, now I got to dive a little bit deeper. And if I was only an FMS guy, I'd be screwed because I had nothing else to throw at him. I'd have to refer him out to somebody. But started looking at some other stuff, looked at his breathing, looked at his conditioning, looked at some of those other things, realized he kind of has a capacity issue going on. And I had more tools in the toolbox to go to. That's really the difference maker. And really, even that, that's kind of easy to teach. It's just having the right checklist. So that's really what we talk about when you kind of say, get out of that silo and have as many things in your arsenal as possible, but you don't use them all on day one. I'm not going to try to show you every trick in the book day one. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about day one of where we screw it up and where it can go right. Yeah. And, and before we do, I just want to add on one thing is uh, the most successful coaches out there, um, they are, they are gifted, but they're also, they have systems. And, and that's really what it's all about. Um, most of the, the top 1% of, of the people out there, um, they have, they, they have systems. If they, they, they may not even know that they have systems, but they have systems and, uh, you can't, you can only get so far without it. And that is why we are so adamant about that. You've got to get the system, 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 systems. And that's, what's going to allow you to become 
uh, a better coach and, and a more productive coach and it will allow you to coach, not just sit and be in front of a spreadsheet all day. So, but moving so, on. So, so with that, let me jump in real quick. I, you know, I, I gave a, 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 spoke at a conference once and I talked about the difference between there's two types of great people in our business. There's, there's wizards, right. And we know some of them, right. Gray cook, uh, Bernard Horvacash, Charlie Weingroff, these type of people are gifted. Like they can walk in a room and like use the force and like your shoulder gets better. Like they, are, they have a gift. And, but even Gray says, he goes, I may, uh, I may skip steps, but I never miss steps where, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're just really good system managers. Like we just know I have a checklist. Okay. Do I have all these boxes checked? If yes, then go to here. If no, then go to here. And eventually I'm going to find that box that's not checked and I'm going to hammer that. And that's usually how it gets found. It, it's, it's, it's honestly the best coaches and, and clinicians are problem solvers with systems. That's it. Problem solvers 100%. with systems. That, that's all it is. So, but you know, like you said earlier, we, we kind of screwed up. We screwed up a lot. And, and, I, and I say that because I have done probably seven consultations this week. And I think about the way that I do consultations now. And the way that I interact with individuals on day one or when it's time for their evaluation versus the way that I used to. And man, I'm surprised people even signed up with me based off of what I used to do. But now I'm like, man, we've been refining this. And, and uh, you know, it, it's one of those situations. Once you get that system and you try to poke holes through the system, it becomes that much easier. But man, there are some days that you just, you, you screw it up. And I think back to, you know, some of the decisions I've made uh, early on and, uh, man, there's been some crazy ones where I just, I missed the boat on certain things. Yeah. And I think early on when you're young and you, you just learned all this information, I got my certification and I can't wait to, to tell everybody how smart I am and, 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 you know, show them all the exercise I know and all the things I know and all the fat and the fancy Latin terms that I know. Right. When you forget that, like where they're where they're coming from, like that person might've, you know, had your name and number, on their to-do list for six months, right? They might've, you know, driven to the, to the gym four times before they actually had the guts to go in there. I think you had a great line uh, that you used this week in, in your newsletter, like the heaviest weight in the gym is that front door. And they yeah. finally get the courage to come in and you sit there kind of like an asshole and talk about you for, for half an hour, right? And so, and you wonder why people get turned off and realize, oh, this isn't really for me. Um, or even if they do buy in and say, all right, I'll take it because I don't think there's another better option if I show them a better option down the street, I win, or they're going to come to you and realize, well, maybe this isn't the, you know, they fail. And cause it wasn't about them. And, and some of that comes down to, you know, obviously you got to have good communication skills. Um, go back. If you want to learn that, go back, listen to the episode we did with Jenny Rerich. She's masterful at that. Um, but also what we have is we have a whole section in our course called the key questions and asking the right questions. Cause we say, if you miss any one of these, you're going to completely miss the boat on your training. So like the easy example I talk about is, is let's say you don't ask, like, what do you do for a living? And what does your typical day look like? And you find out you, you're working with a guy who's a Mason. And then in your program, you give this guy farmer's walks. Like this guy's been carrying cinder blocks all day. The last thing he wants to do is carry kettlebells for walking around. Like, first of all, it's not going to do anything for him. He already has that. And it's, it's like the last thing he needs of all the things he needs. Like, so if you miss that question or... If you don't ask the question of, hey, what have you been successful with? What have you not been successful with? Like how many times have you had somebody come in and they're afraid of kettlebells? Or I had a woman who was afraid of the cable machines, like the most docile. It's like the, the teddy bear of the, the, of, the <laughs> of the equipment. But she, was, she got hurt once on a cable machine and she convinced it was the cable machine. 
Um, you tell a story of an NFL guy who swore up and down that knee extensions fix his knee, right? Hey, and, and at first I thought to myself, that was the dumbest thing on the planet. But after that, you do as many knee extensions as you want to do, my friend, because if that makes you happy and that makes you believe that's going to help your knee, you knee extension the hell out of it. Unless, unless his evaluation gives you a reason not to. Hundred percent, right. and and that was the thing. He was clean. He had a great FMS. He looked awesome. He just always did it. So I was like, man, I'm not going to take away your habit. I'm not going to take away your binky. And if it's not hurting you, pump those quads, man. Yeah, I, I mean, you got to you got to get out of your own way sometimes. And and so I just did a post yesterday, and it, it was about how your assessment writes your program for me. Right? Is that? Um, I think in terms of going back to the silos and the niches and, and our why and our mindset going into it is, you know, as I've evolved and matured as a professional, I think one of the biggest revelations is when you can get to the comfort level where I really don't give a shit what I do with you, right? I, it, it Like whether we end up doing, um, you know, thoracic rotation, whether we end up doing speed drills, whether we end up doing um, bench press. I really don't care. I've seen enough exercises done enough times that I have no vested interest. I get no kickback if we do deadlifts versus, you know, arm bars. So like, I don't really care what you do. So I, you're, you're, so how do I pick the exercises? Well, you're going to pick them for me and you're going to pick them by telling me what you see in your, what I see in your assessment. If your assessment, like you just talked about, you have some an assessment that's clean. Well, then I have a huge menu to choose from. So like the analogy that I use is I tell everybody, you know, I say, okay, imagine that gym wall and it's filled with every exercise we could possibly think of. And the analogy I use is like the cheesecake factory menu. Like, oh, you know, yeah. you, go to, you go to cheesecake factory and they give you a, a Bible as a menu and it takes everybody, you know, 45 minutes to figure out what appetizer is going to order. Cause there's too many options. Right. So imagine if all the exercises in the world are like that cheesecake factory menu, but then you go into the cheesecake factory and, oh, well, I don't like red meat. I have an allergy to gluten. I have this. Well, now that menu starts getting chopped down. And that's really what your assessment does. It says, okay, well, this person doesn't have ankle mobility. Well, we know there's a bunch of activities that probably aren't going to be suited for you because of that lack of, lack of ankle mobility. And now the menu gets trimmed down and trimmed down and trimmed down. And now I have a, a couple of different options. And then even when I get to those options, you know, we teach a course on programming. It, you know, when we do case studies with people, you may have five people give five different exercises for the same person. They all could be right. And so we don't even really care which version of the squat you do, provided their assessment didn't tell you they can't do it otherwise. So um, talk a little bit about how like data collection, you know, evaluation testing gets in A, gets interpreted and B, how does it actually change the program? I think for the new individuals starting at a gym, the idea of an evaluation can be somewhat... Um somewhat tough for them to sort of understand the process. They feel like they're being tested. They feel like they're being judged. So I think right away, you know, when we talk about this process, we really need to educate them in a gentle fashion because um, maybe they've never been assessed. Maybe they think they're being judged or they think it's some sort of performance testing in which they're going to be compared to other individuals. And here's the way that I look at it. As I say, look, we are on a fact-finding mission. So we can understand to the best of our ability with the information that we have today, what the best direction is for you as far as exercise goes. It's not a pass or fail. 
It's simply information so we can make the best decision possible for you so you can move forward and continue to make process. And that is what the evaluation process is all about. It's just information so we can make better decisions for your for your training program, or maybe it's uh, maybe it's for a personal training, or maybe it's for a group training scenario. So it's really non sort of bias information, and which will allow us to, you know, make better decisions from a training standpoint, that is the point of the movement standpoint. But also, um, you know, we have to take into consideration what tests are appropriate, because the tests that you're going to use for uh, a 45 year old um, mother of three, is going to be very, very different uh, than the test you might use for a senior or an individual uh, that's a senior and they play football and they're trying to play in college. So I think one of the things people start off and they goof up is just the importance of testing, but the appropriate testing and how to communicate the testing. Yeah. And also understanding that part of your testing is, is a baseline because um, you want to be able to show people that they're making progress. And I say, look, you live in that body. You're not going to notice it like, like I can. And then, and the data will back that up. You know, I'm going back to the client I was talking about earlier. He couldn't believe that he he's like, I don't feel that different, but he goes, but the numbers show I'm eight pounds heavier. My body fats down. My, my scores are all up in my movement. All those things changed. And it's not like I'm making that up. He, he sees the same digits come up on the grip strength holder that I do. Um, now, from the perspective, a couple different things on this, from the perspective of the client, like if you're not asking these, if you're, if you're going in and saying, hey, I got to choose a coach or a trainer or a program, and they're not doing any level of questioning or evaluation or finding out where you're at or any fact finding to use your term of my injury history, my medical history, my exercise history, and they're just throwing me to the wolves, you got to be a little careful. All right. And that'll come back to the point of whether you are you getting just a workout or you getting a program. Then there's also the, yeah, yeah. so we'll come back to that. But there's also the point of this. Here's the other part where evaluation gets screwed up. And I see this, you know, because I do a lot of work in the baseball world where the evaluation is nothing but eyewash, right? Because especially we have so much tech, like they'll come in and they'll get all these different motion capture testings and they'll get all these different detailed um, assessments. And then they end up going and saying, I got the same program as everybody else at the end of the day. It didn't matter, right? All that stuff was just eye candy just to get me in the door, but it didn't affect my programming at all. I'm doing the same program as everybody else. And so we see that even in the clinical world, you see the, you know, clinicians will come in and they'll do their eval and then they realize, you know, okay, I'm sitting down and I got the same shoulder protocol as this, you know, old lady with a frozen shoulder next to me, but yet I'm a baseball player who throws 90 miles an hour trying to play professionally. How, this doesn't add up. Like, so um, I think that helps drive to get people to understand that this is about them when you can correlate all connect all those dots to say, okay, remember when you came in and you couldn't even touch your toes? Well, look, you know, look what it feels like now, you know, you couldn't even get a, a, a you know, a, a bar behind your back, let alone be able to do anything once it was there. All those little things that can be great reminders that, hey, you're progressing here um, and we're getting somewhere. Now, going back to how it helps drive decisions, like the first thing that everybody leans towards is, okay, well, what exercise am I going to do? So obviously, you know, because of our background with FMS and all that stuff, everybody thinks, okay, in terms of movement, that we're really focused on really specific movements when really it's just 
breaking it down into buckets and, and buckets, meaning that we have these patterns that every movement comes from. And, and one of my mentors, you know, I did two years of Paul Chuck's internship. He used a great analogy that I use with clients. Say so it's like the, the keys on a calculator, right? Zero through nine, make every single number in the world. And how you utilize those 10 digits is really just comes down to your math skill. But let's say you have a broken seven button. Well, number one is you're not going to be able to express that skill as well. So even if you're really good at, at math, you have to work around that, that thing. And it's going to slow down your performance. It's going to affect your performance, your ability to express your skill. Two is if you keep working around it long enough, you're going to make a mistake. Well, mistakes in your body are pulled hamstrings. They're you know strained low backs. They're you know rolled ankles. They're that sort of thing because you were working around something that was a roadblock or, or, or a a piece of a, a pattern that you didn't really have. And so we look at movement kind of in terms of making intelligent exercise choices, you know, talk a little bit about the process of how we, we make those choices. Well, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that we see in the fitness industry is, um, and, and we've heard this, do not load dysfunction, right? And and I think the word dysfunction is, is first of all, a word that needs to be used uh, in the context of trainer to trainer and clinician to trainer versus we should never be using that, that term in my mind with, with a, with a client, uh, in general, but, um, we need to make decisions that are going to be appropriate for those individuals where they're currently at, because it's going to change over time. And I think that's one thing people need to understand about the, uh, the evaluation process is yes, there is a formal evaluation at the beginning, but there's also constant evaluation. And that's just called coaching. It's paying attention and, and making changes on the fly and, and understanding that, you know, there are certain things, but look, when we run people through the evaluation and we're looking at larger global movement patterns, it's really like a traffic light system. It's like, Hey, right now shouldn't do this, but here's the scoop, right? If you take something off the menu for someone, right. And you say, Hey, look, I don't think you should do this right now. You need to provide a why. And that's another thing people don't do. It's just like, don't take away their favorite toy. If you're going to take away something, you just provide context or don't even say anything. But my point is, is that you want to take away the things that are going to potentially not be beneficial because right away, it just makes your decision-making process that much better, right? If we're talking about a traffic light, those are your red lights, right? Which gives us some other options. So we need to find starting points in all those patterns. And we know what the patterns are. We've got our squat pattern. We've got our hinge pattern. And then we've got, you know, we've got single leg variations of all those and split stance sort of variations of all those. So we need to fill sort of the, the pattern buckets. And when we're looking at lower body, we look at bilateral split stance and single leg, but within those buckets, there's variation. So we need to change. We need to understand based off of the evaluation, is this pattern appropriate to introduce right now? And if so, where's the right starting point? But at the same time, um, do we not do this pattern and what are they prerequisite movements or uh, positions that will set us up to get there? So understand that when you start off and you have a limited menu, that limited menu is not forever. It's just a limited menu for now. And as you start to acquire skill and get a little bit stronger and get a little bit more coordinated, well, guess what? Or even when you move a little bit better, then you're going to have more options on the menu. So you may start off with a smaller menu, but eventually we're going to add more things and you're going to have more options and you're going to have a lot more fun. But man, um, if you start off at a point where you're, you're really not capable of doing anything, um, it's going to be tough because uh, the menu is going to be limited. And um it's not always going to be uh, 
it's not always going to be the sexiest, most entertaining thing because um, we need to make progress. We're not here to just provide you with, you know, Instagram videos and, you know, ab shots and et cetera. So um, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. Yeah. You can't just take away uh, without giving a reason. You also can't take away without the intention of the, or in the goal of giving some form of that back to them. Right. So if someone 100%. can't, if someone can't hinge well, I'm going to say, okay, well, here's, here's why we're taking these hinging activities, whether it's box jumps or kettlebell swings or deadlifts, we're taking them away temporarily until we can get you to mm -hmm. hinge really well and naturally and reflexively. And then I'm going to give you some level of hinge back. Does that mean everybody has to get back to barbell deadlift? No, it means I'm going to give you some level of a deadlift back. And then in the meantime, I got to replace that with something else. So, you know, the big one we talk about all the time is, is you have someone who's an avid runner and you realize that they don't really have the movement competency to run. If you just tell them don't run, guess what? They're going to run anyway. And so you're, you're going <laughs> to, yeah. so, so, okay, what's going to be my, what's going to be my adult conversation I have with them to say, okay, look, I know you love to run. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to give you to replace that activity that won't affect you from a, a, a structural, you know, um, cost standpoint while we're fixing and getting you to be able to get better ankle mobility or hip mobility or, or core control, whatever it is they're lacking. And then in the meantime, let's do this activity instead, whether it's a, a, an assault bike or something like that, that'll still get your endorphins, that'll still get your conditioning up, that'll still burn the calories, that'll do all those things that you get out of running, except for the actual running on the road. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guest every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. Now, Sometimes, and I realize it, it's perfect world that we can do these assessments and we can really dial in programs, but we don't always get that opportunity. I work with high school teams. I don't get to assess, do really any level of assessing or testing um, because it's, it's such a fluid situation with kids going in and out of different sports from, from one season to the next um, with not having the time or the accents or the staffing or the wherewithal to do that. So I have to do the best I can kind of knowing on some generalities. Is it as good as it can be? No, I know it can't be, but it's going to be better than anything else. And so like even in the court in, in the course of a, a warm up, we can address some of those things. Like you have a brilliant system called a 244 system that we have a whole course that we built around on how to program warm ups, but it's really yeah. just addressing the most common flaws we see in movement. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we've, I've been working for FMS for, yeah, going on eight years now. And, and, uh, one of the things that we do see, and, and this is based off of the data and the research and, and it's just, you know, also based off of what I've been seeing in the last, you know, decade at my gym is, um, look about two thirds of the population is going to have ankle, uh, shoulder, T-spine and some sort of hip, hip mobility restriction, you know, and we, we assess every single individual that comes through the door. But we also understand that even if we give them homework, they're not going to do it. I actually say to them, hey, if I give you two to three drills every day to clean this up, will you do it? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, cool. Not a problem, man. Like, thank you for the honesty because now I don't have to put that video together. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I think the, the most important thing is that when you do design a system where you can't, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. You know, in a group training environment, 
um, you have to make decisions that are going to be beneficial for the majority of the individuals attending. So you have to create sort of catch-alls and you have to create programs and warm-ups and, and uh, situations and, and, and templates that are going to be beneficial for 80, 85% of the individuals right there. So what do we do? Well, we know that, okay, a lot of people need ankle mobility work. So what do we do? We, we spend, you know, we give them two different ankle mobility exercises. You know, sometimes we're focusing on soft tissue on the, you know, on the posterior side. Sometimes we're working on the actual joint, trying to, you know, get a little bit more mobility out of the ankle joint. So we're going to do a couple drills to, uh, to really open up those ankles. Because if you think about why the ankle is important, you need ankle mobility and stability on all of your lower body patterns, two-legged split stance and single-legged, right? So you need to have some decent ankle mobility, specifically dorsiflexion, but yes, plantar is important. And then depending on what's going on that day, we're going to do a bunch of hip mobility drills that are going to direct you and prepare you for what's going to happen in the lifts. So guess what? The exercises that you do in the warm-up are going to prepare you for the lifts. So guess what? If you're doing a bilateral lift, like a squat or a deadlift, maybe you should do some bilateral prep. Same thing with split stance and same thing with single leg. And then lastly, as we get to uh, the upper body, we do another four drills. And that is just hitting the T-spine and hitting the shoulders because we know that people lose, lose their ability to uh, rotate their thoracic spine, to bend and flex their T-spine, to you know move around the rib cage as well. And, and we get stuck. So we program in drills to move their T-spine rib cage and eventually their glenohumeral joint. So what we do is we know that people are coming in with movement competency-based issues. So what do we do? We create a systematic approach to try to catch as many of those as possible in the warm-up. And then we have incredible systems where we can progress and regress individuals pretty much on the fly, but the systems are written for us. And that's the beauty of it because you're no longer guessing. You're just following the system. And that is that is something that we've been working on. And 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 we actually have almost like a, a similar belt system that we see in in the world of uh, of martial arts. And uh, you know, the belt systems are our systems for a reason. And everything we do has a system, but we vetted the creative process. So anytime you're making something up or when, anytime you're getting creative. I want you to have some principle-based creativity, right? Have a reason why you're doing things. But in our warm course, man, we teach you everything. We teach you the, the different drills, the whys, the coaching, the cueing. And I tell you what, if you follow that template, man, it's going to make your life that much easier because it's really, really just plug and play. And, and look, we've been using this for a decade and it works because uh, our clients move well, they're strong. We have minimal injuries and, uh, man, it makes a huge difference when you do it right. And uh, you have systems that work and they're, they're repetitive. And not only can you run them, but everybody else in the facility knows how to apply those systems. Therefore, uh, you just have a more consistent product. And that's never a bad thing, especially in the service related industry. So one last note on the movement standpoint, and again, flipping it to having the empathy from the client side. And I think that's one of the things that we if of kind of human qualities that we don't have enough of as coaches and trainers and pros is, is empathy and, and understanding, you know, like we get this frustration when we're trying to teach somebody a new movement. And I say, there's bilateral conversations going on in both of your heads. I said, as the coach or trainer, we've all stood there and trying to teach somebody a new movement. And in our head, we're saying, what is wrong with this person? Why can't this idiot do this exercise? <laughs> And then you know what your client is saying the whole time? 
They're saying, what's wrong with this idiot? Why can't he or she understand? I can't do this exercise. And right. And so you're both getting frustrated and think the other person's an idiot when meanwhile, it's just a matter of having that understanding and empathy. So like the simplest way I describe it, and we'll do this hands-on when I teach is I'll tell people, okay, go fold your arms. Right. And people will fold their arms. And I say, okay, now take your hands and switch them, go the opposite way. And it feels like really bizarre. It's totally weird. And like people can't even do it sometimes. And I say, okay, you know how awkward and weird and, and unnatural that feels? Well, that's how your client feels every time you teach them a new movement. Like you may know deadlifts and hip hinging really well because you've done a million of them. Well, this client's never done a hip hinge. So you have to be a little bit more empathetic to, to that learning process and get really good at your communication and in getting to understand a better concept of how motor learning actually happens. Um, and it's not just about picking an exercise and assigning it reps and sets. And then if we take it a step further and we say, okay, well, what's the difference? And, and I kind of had this, this, this thought the other day when we were working on some of our content and say, okay, well, I've been in, this is year 25 for me, you're going on year 20 and say, okay, well, how did I survive this long? Because we were doing research and it was scary. Like the average career in the fitness industry is six to 24 months. Like that's a half a year to two years that most people get in this business say, Hey, I love fitness. I want to be a fitness, you know, professional, a trainer, a coach. And then they're gone usually within a year or so. And so I said, how did I last 25 years? I'm not the, the, the smartest guy in the room. So it's like, hey, what did I do? Right. Um, Cause I, as you said earlier, we've certainly done, done enough wrong. And so one is understanding the difference between a program and a workout, right? We mentioned this earlier. Like anybody can give you workouts, especially now. I can go on YouTube, get a free workout. There's all these different apps that give me free workouts. Or even if I want to go in and go to a physical location to get a workout, I have options like Orange Theory. I have CrossFit. I have the local boot camp. I have F45. I have all these places and they'll give me a workout where if I'm now trying to be a, a fitness professional, a coach or trainer, and I'm trying to compete with that, they got way better brand recognition. They're considered way cooler. They have way more advertising dollars. They have way more money they can invest in, in facilities and equipment. I have no chance to go up against that. If it's just my workouts versus their workouts, I'm going to lose every single time. And over all those, the last 25 years, I've seen so many people around me open and close. I've literally had gyms. My landlord at my first location opened up a gym underneath me, like literally under, like underneath me. And they open and close in, in, in the span we were there. So the difference was we were selling programs, workouts, I can get anywhere and workouts, I'll come for a couple of workouts. It was fun. It was cool. But then I'm going to go to the next place with, with workouts programs. Okay. This is about me. And so we talk about how your business is about retention. We did stats when I had my facility and from the, from the newest client that signed up that morning to clients who were with us forever, those were all counted in from my newest most novice trainer up to me, we counted those all in. And our average retention was 1.9 years. When most people are signing up for training, they're doing a six-week program, a 10-pack, something like that. So like, great, you can get all the new clients you want, but if you can't keep them, and what keeps them is your programs, if you can't keep them, then you got to reload that bucket all the time. And eventually, you know, it, it, it's, you're going to run out. You're not going to be able to have enough lead magnets. You're not going to be able to do enough Facebook ads to keep filling a, a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it. Yeah. So um, it's, it's funny to see how, not even funny, funny is not a good word, but um, you know, if you look at sort of the industry in general, right, we've, we've seen people come and go, like you've said, 
come and go, come and go. And then, then when COVID hit, especially, um, we saw a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people didn't, didn't truly understand the fragility of their business when COVID hit. They didn't understand how much it could potentially impact them. And look, COVID is what it is. It, you know, it, it was awful. It sucked. It was an awful, awful thing. But I, I will tell you this, the businesses that had good coaches, really, really solid systems that cared a lot about their clients, those are the ones that withstood a global pandemic. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are thriving on the other side now. And I, I can honestly say, because I know the gyms, we're one of them. Uh, I can honestly say if we didn't have the systems and we didn't have the knowledge and we didn't run the business the way that we, we did, and we didn't develop that rapport with our clients, we wouldn't have made it. So, you know, obviously we talk about this and we're, we're trying to teach you the basics of this, this journey, but I'm going to be honest, like, uh, this is the stuff that will save a business. This is the stuff that will keep your business going through the really, really hard stuff. And look, running a business and having a gym is hard to begin with. Imagine doing that through a pandemic and look, the systems that we're going to teach you are the systems that we've been implementing both of us. And that allowed us to, to stay busy and, and, and to work with individuals in a creative fashion through a global pandemic. So look, this is the stuff, this works. And imagine if you take these systems and you apply them in a way that, um, you don't have to deal with a global pandemic, right? This we're at the other end at this point. Now it's, this is, this is an opportune time to really make an impact on your community. If you can get your systems down and, and you can train the heck out of people, you are going to impact a lot of people and you'll never be busy. But if you're doing it on sheer talent alone, it's not going to work. And that's why you need to have better systems and you need to have something that is repeatable and sustainable. So we talk about, um, you know, kind of the three paths, if not, you know, a combination of, of, of two or all three that most trainers set out that they want to be able to do as, as part of their career. One is everybody wants to have either the high profile and or high ticket clients, right? I want to train big money people and or train big names that I can post on Instagram, hang pictures on the wall and or they want to become a leader in the industry. They want to be out and teach workshops. They want to be in the front of the room at the conference. They want to be able to sell their own training courses um, or, to your point, they want to open up their own facility. And fortunately for us, we've been able to do all three at a pretty high level at some point in our career. And both of us being uh, facility owners, one of the challenges there is, right, how does that come about? I become really popular as a trainer, and I think I can't handle all this. If I could just scale, I'll open a facility, and I'll get trainers to work underneath me, and then everybody will come and train with them. Well, they're not you. Right. And so everybody walks in the door. They want to train with Mike. They want to train with Eric. And so how do I get them to replicate and kind of clone me? And, and that comes down to systems. And then in terms of scalability, there's only so much of us to go around. If you think when we talk about programs that every single time that new person walks in, we're taking out a blank sheet of white paper and starting from scratch, there's no way that's scalable or feasible. Right. And so we know that there's certain kind of lanes that people fit within. Right. So that we have kind of general templates that we work off of. And then just knowing how to bump those templates one way or the other is really the art of it to say, okay, well, if I had this base template and we, and we, we have a whole algorithm that we created in our one course. And, and basically the, the base template that everything works off of is based on the premise that if, you know, and Mike, if you, you know, when you're in this industry long enough, you go to any social event, people say, Hey, can you give me a workout? 
right? So if, if you said to me, I have no limitations whatsoever, um, I have no specific goal other than just get more fit. Um, could you write me a general program? Then yeah, we could probably sit down and write something. And Mike's program wouldn't look the same as mine, but we can come up with something. But then you start talking more to the person and like, well, and then you, know, you got to consider I have a bad knee. And you also consider I don't have a lot of time and also consider I don't have a lot of access to equipment or the gym I work at doesn't have a lot of space or, um, you know, all these things start to come up and now, okay, well, now I got to completely rearrange this thing. And so now you have to have a system to know how do I know what to pull out? How do I know what to put in? And so that's really how you mix and match. It doesn't start from scratch, a blank sheet of paper every time, or you're going to go mad. You're yeah. never going to have enough hours in the day. Yeah. It, it, you know, think of it, um, think of it as the difference between a scratch kitchen and Chipotle, right? If you go to a scratch kitchen, they are literally starting from scratch, like with basic ingredients and yeah, you can make money. Cause if you're in a scratch kitchen and you're a good chef, you're going to charge a lot, a lot of money for that meal, but you're not going to be able to churn out a lot of those meals because it's just, it's too time intensive, but you go to Chipotle, you're getting a customized burrito bowl, but you're just adding your own ingredients. Um, but the basic ingredients are there, right? You've got your, your rice and you've got your proteins and you've got your veggies and this and that. And, um, you know, it, it's the same thing with training. Could you be a scratch kitchen and write a brand new soup to nuts, four to five week program for someone? Absolutely. But over time, it's a waste of time because you're going to end up once you write 10 or 12 of those built from scratch programs, you know what they are, they're going to look the same anyways. So why don't you find a better way to create templates that 75% of those templates are what you need. And then you change the veggies and maybe you change the, the starch, or maybe you just change the spices. But at the end of the day, you've got a systematic approach. So you're not recreating a meal all you're doing is you're changing the toppings and the different, and you know, the different sort of changes to that meal. And that is why Chipotle is going to make a lot more money than the dude that has the scratch kitchen up the street, because he's just a really good cook without systems. And sure, if you want a fancy meal and you want to pay more money, cool. But that guy is going to be cooking scratch meals until he dies, because he's never going to have systems to teach other people how to make meals that are almost as good, but way more efficient. Yeah. He's, he's essentially like in our business, he's just trading dollars for hours. Now 100%. you can do that and at a high work. level and it, it works. Work. And if you're good with that, but at some point, if you wanted to scale or, or have something that that's beyond that, you know, and so with that, you have to have going back to those checklists. And so our now Chipotle wouldn't work right? If they had different ingredients every day, if they, if you no. had Mr. Chipotle went out to the market every day and picked out whatever <laughs> the, the, the fresh yeah. vegetables of the day were, it'd be chaos. Right. And so yeah, you'd be like, so, I'm allergic to that. So right. <laughs> well, with working out instead of, you know, they have their staples of, they have, okay, we have this chicken, we have this beef, we have this vegetable, right? This pork, those are options, right? And then you have these, so that's how you work through the line. So the same thing is with exercise. We have 10 program elements. These are the 10 elements you need to consider, right? And then we break those elements down into categories of, you know, some of these elements you don't get to pick, right? They're driven by the organism. That's driven by the person, the, the, the team, the group, whoever's in front of you. You don't get to pick your client's goals. You don't get to pick your, their, their training history. You don't get to pick any of the, you don't get to pick their time and their schedule, right? Um, then there's the elements that, that are controlled by the environment where we can control some of those things. Whereas in terms, am I going to do a circuit program or am I going to do supersets? Well, depends if you're working at 
if you're working out at LA Fitness on a Monday night, a circuit's not going to work real well. So you need to know that going into it. It's not because circuits are bad. It just doesn't work with that environment. And then there's certain things that are just driven by science. And that's, you know, the basics of like, if I want to get really, really strong, doing a bunch of sets of 30 to 50 reps is probably not going to get me there. Um, so just understanding how the science lines up with it. And then it's just working down the list and everything lines up and then you get to your workout, but we have what we call the five F's and in the five F's are just your basic checklist of, to say, okay, we have our foundational movements that we know, um, the squat, lunge, push, pull, those things where you know that we have to have, um, some level of function in there that not necessarily function in the sense that we're balancing on BOSU balls and waving body blades, but function like, I'm not going to make you worse off. I'm going to make you, I'm not going to make yeah. you debilitated. I'm going to reinforce your ability to do what you need to do throughout the day. Then you have um, fillers. That's where you can make some variations and you can fill some, th some things in. So in between sets of your pull-ups, instead of, you know, talk about what you do last weekend, that's where I can sneak in some T-spine mobility or some ankle mobility, or maybe I do some, some metabolic work or any of those things. That's where I can fill in some gaps there um, based on whatever your goal is. Then I have, you know, um, you know, your fitness or finishers or things like that. You know, do I need to have a cardiovascular component, a metabolic component? Do I need to have any of those things in there? So you just kind of work through this list and say, okay, well, once I have this, now I know how to mix and match the meats and the veggies and the, and the toppings. And it's just, and it, again, it looks like you got your custom made burrito at the end of the day, when you're working off the same yeah. line, the guy in front of you and the guy behind you had, and you all have different burritos, but it was the same checklist that they worked off of. But then here's the, here's the, the, the last element that with programming, which kind of takes you again to that, that top level is we are dynamic organisms. We don't train cyborgs. And so you may have done all everything we talked about. You did a knockout job on creating rapport and trust and buy-in with your initial with your initial consultation. You did a, an incredible evaluation. You dialed in exactly what this person needed. Um, you wrote a program that was systematic, that was reproducible, that was reliable, that had all these elements into it. And then that client shows up Monday morning and they're a different organism than they were a week ago when you established all the stuff because maybe they rolled their ankle in a basketball game this weekend, or maybe they had a, an, uh, a six hour flight, or maybe they have an, uh, uh, an infinite home that kept them up all night, or they went to a dinner party and they had too much wine. And now all of a sudden, shit, what do I do with my program? Because it's not, they're not really ready for this. I could plow on and just force feed it to them, but it's not, that's not going to work real well. So how do I make adaptations and do some dynamic program programming on the fly that is adjustable. And so it really now takes it next level. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, right? Like what is your rapport with that client? Are you comfortable? You know, like, you know, Hey, how was last night? How was your weekend? Like you want to be able to have that, that sort of comfortable conversation because not only when you ask, Hey, how was your weekend? Yes. It's a question. It's a very, very, um, you know, broad question. They could say good, but you know, if you have a good uh, relationship with that individual and you know how to communicate, you can be, you can dig a little bit deeper. Like, Hey, not just how was your weekend? Because a lot can happen in 48 hours. Hey, you know, how was that party you were telling me about? Ah, oh, man, I went out and, you know, had too many to drink on, uh, on, uh, on Saturday night. And I just, I rested all day Sunday and I'm still feeling like crap. That is necessary information that will, that will drive your decision-making process within the training session. So yes, you're asking how they're doing, just to see how they're doing because hopefully you care about them, but also you're gathering sort of fringe information that 
is not going to directly maybe change your sets and reps, but look, if they spent the entire weekend partying, drinking, getting sunburnt, feeling like crap, like, you know, and it's deadlift day on Monday, guess what? Like, that's the information we need to know ahead of time because it's important because if we try to, you know, square peg round hole, that's just someone getting injured. So, you know, all of this dynamic programming and the stuff that Eric's talking about, yes, you have to be able to sort of think on the fly, but when you have systems, right, and you have the ability to make educated changes, you're actually, what you're really doing is you're limiting unnecessary mistakes and you're making targeted decisions because you already have more information because you've done your due diligence beforehand and you've set up the relationship and the boundaries so you can have honest communication with your client. And that's the beauty of it. And that is that is where dynamic programming comes in. That is when building rapport and trust. And look, they need to trust you and they need to like you because at the end of the day, if they don't do those two things, they're not paying to hang out with you. So one quick note, I, I, I always think of this story, a friend of mine who I started off with, we both started in the same big box gym, you know, 25 years ago together. And he used to make a joke about like how trainers, their only thing that they have to talk about with their clients, their only like icebreaker was, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? And he said, he goes, Monday and Tuesday, you say, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Thursday and Friday, you say, Hey, what do you got going on this weekend? He goes, what do you talk about on Wednesday? He goes, you got to take Wednesdays off. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. So, you know, look, we can get deep in the weeds with the whole readiness and recovery thing. And, and I do, and I've delved into that world. Like we could talk about HRV and breath hold tests and grip strength and CNS testing and all those different things that, that can really impact and, and make some decision um, uh, changes in, in terms of your programming. But really it also comes back to communication and it comes back to letting people know you're listening, but also giving people answers to their struggles. Remember, that's why we're here. We're problem solvers. So like, Little things like I stole from Andy Galpin, his quadrant system, right? And so his quadrant system is this, where you just draw, a, and I have a whiteboard right next to my desk. And so I'll take a client, a perfect example, I had a client a week or so ago, who's like, you know, I'm trying to stick with the workouts. He goes, but I'm just not bouncing back. I'm always sore. I'm just beat up. I'm beat up. And so I drew out the boxes, right? It's four squares um, within a big square. And I said, okay, this top left square that is your uh, career. That's your work, your business. And I said, the next square next to that on the right, that is your family and relationships, right? Friends, family, all your you know relationships, your social circles. The bottom left corner, that's your fitness, your training, your activity. And then that bottom right cor corner is what I call your reset, your, your recovery, your rest, all that sort of stuff. I said, here's what you got. You have 10 points as a budget, you have to assign a numerical value to where you think you're at right this minute of today for each one of those categories. So he goes through and he says, okay, well, work is like, is taking a lot of attention. I'm working on selling my business. That's a four. Like I am, I am walls to the wall with work. Okay. Family. Um, I'm trying to do the best I can to, to, to balance out. So probably a three for family. Okay. You've been sticking with your workouts, right? Yeah. Fitness is probably a two. And I go, okay, well, not a lot left here, buddy. Like we got one point left for your recovery and, and regen and your, and your reset. So you want to know why you're not bouncing back from your workouts and you feel like crap and you're beat up because look where you've budgeted your time and your energy. Now, I'm not telling you to go quit your job or stop talking to your family. I'm telling you this, to make, this is going to make some sense of why you feel like crap. And so maybe that means we need to dial back your fitness 
at least for the next week or two until you can get everything in order with some of that other stuff. Um, because if not, you're going to continue to feel like crap and you're going to think, you know, maybe I'm not working hard enough or maybe the workouts aren't working or maybe I'm broken. And none of those things are true, right? But until I have this communication and this, this, this education, right? If you're not doing that, if you're not educating them, then really, what are you doing? Like I've been in gyms, I share gym space with other trainers and I've literally seen trainers that the only communication I'll see with them do with their client for an entire session is count and count down five, six, seven, or 10 seconds, five seconds time. Like, really? I mean, come on, dude, be better than that. Like, so you're just going to count. Like I can get a, a, a four-year-old to count for me. Like, that's really what you're providing me is count. You're just going to show me some exercise that I could have learned on YouTube for free. And you're going to count which a four-year-old could do for me. Why am I paying you? Yeah. It's uh, well, you know, I think a lot of people think they can do it on their own until they can't. I mean, think about you, you see it all the time, right? I, I've seen it so many times on Facebook. They're like, hey, I thought I was going to be able to rebuild my basement, but all I've done is destroy it now. And now I have to hire someone else to come in and fix it and do it the right way. And uh, people do that a lot of the times in fitness. They're like, oh, I just did what I did in high school. Yeah. How'd that work for you? Right. So um, a lot of people will try to, you know, quote unquote, build their own basement and, and build their own fitness program. And it might work for a little bit, but what happens when it doesn't, you don't have the skill set to make changes and, 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 you know, have the ability to, to all of a sudden make these appreciable changes that are going to, you know, right the ship and head you in the right direction. They're just not. So, um, you know, it's one of those things it's, uh, you know, I, I think like any profession, when you hire a true professional, that's really, really good. It's clear as day, the the service and the quality of what you're getting. And, and look, you can tell really, really quickly um, the quality of service by what you're getting. And look, that happens on day one, right? The rapport and the initial consultation, because that is a fact-finding mission for those potential clients, but it's also an opportunity for you to educate people on why you're different and how you can be a problem solver for them and help guide them through their fitness and wellness journey. And that's really what it's about. And that's why all of these things matter. Because if you skip one of these things, you're missing a vital part of the system. And systems only work when each portion is operating the way it should. And that is why you know, we've spent literally years putting this stuff together and trying to poke holes in it because um, we understand it's so darn important. When we've been there, we've made the mistakes. Here's the irony is that, and, and, and I'm going to take it from both the professional and from the client side. The irony as a professional is my goal, if you came to me, Mike, as a client today, my goal is to, to help lead you from where you are now to where you want to be. And ultimately my goal from a service providing standpoint is I want to make myself obsolete. I don't want you to rely yeah. on me. And so because of that, I'm going to try to teach you as much as possible. And it's kind of goes back to the old proverb of I can feed you a fish or I can teach you how to fish. You know, feeding a fish gives you food for a day, teaching you how to fish gives you food for life. And so if I can do that, and so I'm trying to get people to, to kind of go through this process where they didn't know they needed me. Now they figure out that they need me and then I'm going to get them to the point where they realize they don't need me anymore. Right. And that's kind of that client journey that I want to have. And here's the irony 
is the more I try to make myself obsolete, the more they keep coming back, right? I have clients, you know, we talk about this, like I have clients literally been with me 20 years, like 15 years, 10 years. And, and, and like, yeah. I could show up tomorrow and give them the middle finger and they'd be like, what's your problem today? And, and, you know, and they just, keep, <laughs> yeah. and, and they just keep coming back. You know what I mean? Because, and it's not because of exercises, right? They, they've gotten all the exercises. They've sometimes done the same program for, for years and, you know, with some variations. And so it's about that. If I was able to accomplish this in six weeks, imagine what this guy could do for me in six months. Right. Or just when I thought I learned everything, he taught me something I never thought of before. And it was life-changing. Right. And it's because I continue to evolve and continue to learn things and add more things into it. I didn't stop, uh, you know, once I got my certification, I am constantly bringing in and I'm trying to harness things from outside of fitness. We talk about this with all of our guests, you know, you've had some great, like Luca Hosevar and, and Brandon Marcello talk about how they try to draw things from other sources and say, how does this apply to what I do in training? Gray Cook is a good example of it. Me and Gray have our own little Oprah book club where we text back and forth once a month. Like, what are you listening to? What are you reading? And taking things from whether it's Dan Heath or whether it's Malcolm Gladwell or, or, or whoever it is who they're not writing about fitness or talking about fitness, but we're like, this makes sense for fitness. Like I was just listening, uh, as I told you, I'm kind of going through a bunch of Alex Hormozzi stuff and he's talking about advertising. And he's like, there's three things you got to do with advertising. And he's like, either if you need to improve your advertising, you either have to do more or you have to do better or you have to do different, right? And so I, you know, I just made a note to like, I need to make a post of this because it's the same thing for fitness, except people get the order backwards. Where for advertising, he says, you want to go more first. And that's where most people go. They say, I'm not getting results. So I just need to work harder. Well, probably not. You probably need to do different first. You need to probably, you, you, what you're, you're working hard enough. You're just doing, doing the right thing. And then the next step is, okay, well, um, you know, do I need, now I've gotten better down or most people chase different. Okay, well, F45 didn't work, so I'm going to do Pilates. And Pilates didn't work, so I'm going to do this. And they keep chasing the, the, whatever the next new trend is. Whereas you don't need as much difference as you really think. Um, and so we kind of keep those in our back pocket. And if you have a system, you don't, you don't empty the clip the first day. You say, okay, let's first change one thing, right? And if you did zero sets of squats yesterday, one squat is a set of squats is 100% more than you've been doing. I don't need to go full board and give you a full one hour leg day workout. You haven't done anything in months, right? So knowing how to use those things and you know how to use the, the tools in your uh, toolbox and not just empty, just dump the whole toolbox out on day one. That's really the art of having that system of knowing when to pull the trigger on, on any of these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we sort of, you know, get to the tail end of this, I, I think a big part of it is, is, you know, a lot of the times we have to completely overhaul someone's training program, or we need to start from fresh. Often other times people come in and they have the basics. Sometimes we just need to rearrange things for them to make more sense because maybe they're just putting things in the wrong spot. Like, you know, if you're going to make a pizza, it's pretty simple. You get the bread, you get the sauce, you get the cheese, right? But if you start with just cheese and then you put, you know, uh, you know, everything in sort of the reverse order, it's still going to have the ingredients of a pizza, but it's not going to be anything like a pizza because the order in which you've done things is not optimal or it's not even correct. And I think a lot of people do that with training because they don't really even understand, you know, what should go where. And, and that's a big part of it. It's like, people ask us all the time. We've seen this at courses. What's better. Should I start with cardio or lifting? 
It depends. You're asking the wrong question. So we have to, that, that's a big part of what we do is it's not about what's better, right? It's about what's the situation, what's the given information we have and what's the goal. And then we can probably tell you what is more optimal, but we can't just say what's better because we don't know the information. It's like, you know, what's a better restaurant between restaurant A and restaurant B? I don't know. I've never eaten at both. Then I can't tell you. And that's, that's a big part of it. You know, we just, we're problem solvers and that's what we do. And, and really the good coaches can solve can, can probably, yeah, I can't even talk, can solve the larger problems and the more complicated problems, but they can also solve the simple ones. But guess what? It'll never happen unless you have systems and checklists because well, you will yeah. miss things because humans do. All right. Yeah. I, I'm no way I'm going to let you throw out pizza making and I'm not going to jump on that because now you're in my wheelhouse, Perry. So <laughs> I, I know I, I, right when I said that, I mean, I, I realized I was getting into, you know, enemy territory when I was making, making a, a you know, an, an Italian food, uh, you know, example, you're, you're, but it was the point was across. Okay. You're talking to a guy who grew up working in pizzerias. I know it's a shocker and I'm, and I'm probably a little, I'm stereotyping. An Italian guy in New Jersey yeah. worked at a pizza shop. Big surprise, huh? You're profiling Perry, you're profiling. Um, so, but with <laughs> that, like, you. yeah. Um, but, but with that, like, why is Papa John's total shit? And, um, you know, you go, you can, you can go to any, you know, a number of great pizza places, um, anywhere in the Northeast. Right. So it's, it's not even just, it's the same stuff, right. It's sauce, it's cheese, it's, it's dough, but like the difference between a great versus a shitty pizza is, the quality of the ingredients, the skill of the of the guy making it, okay, the equipment you're using to make it, the oven will make a huge difference in that. Like all of these elements in in the system of how you do it, like you like I could spot a rookie pizza guy, you know, from a mile away from how they even put together a, a pie. So it's like all of these elements matter, and you can scale shit really easily, but it comes and goes. How many fads <laughs> have we seen like? curves that came and went it was a great idea fitness targeted for women who don't feel comfortable walking into a normal gym great idea really shitty execution right yeah whereas you see sometimes you see great execution you see a trainer is super talented but just has really terrible systems and how they apply it right so how do you blend both and that's really where we kind of keep poking holes to say okay well what did we do right to be here 25 years later, to have facilities that were, I was open 12 years, you're going on over 10, to be able to, to work with the people that we've worked with and, and do all that. It's really just, it's being able to be honest with ourselves and saying, okay, what, what did I screw up here? What could I have done better? And if you don't go back and look at your client's workouts six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, you don't cringe a little bit, that's maybe your problem as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, or, or maybe, you're looking at it and going, wow, there's a lot of similarities. Well, that's, that might be a good thing. Right. And, and then that's maybe when you start need to, that's maybe when you start to uh, maybe potentially think about, well, how can I, how can I get better at scaling this? And how can I, you know, find ways to uh, make this a little bit more sustainable for other individuals. And that is where you start cooking with gas. Right. But um, it, it does, it's just, it's one of those things. I wish we could tell you there's a magic bullet um, and there's a, a way to hack your way through this, but um, we're in the service related industry and look, like any industry, world of physical therapists for pizza shops, right? There's good pizza shops, there's bad ones. 
And there's the same thing with everyone that you do, every sort of profession and every service out there. So there's, there's going to be personal trainers around every corner. Right. And I think the best thing to do is, you know, go out there and, and be the best coach that you can get the best systems, learn from the best individuals and just create a superior product. And eventually everyone around you is just going to fizzle because they're not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, well, I think a good way to wrap it up is, is this. I, I just thought of a story when you're talking about that is uh, there's a, a pro athlete that I work with. He used to sometimes bring his, his younger cousin to workouts. And his younger cousin was going to school for exercise science. And so that's why he brought him along because he wanted to learn from me and so forth. And he was doing his, uh, he was doing his internship at a PT clinic. And so um, the athlete I was working with had something going on where he just could probably have benefited from some soft tissue work and some ma manual therapy. So I said, well, hey, could you go to you know, your cousin's place for the PT? And I said to your cousin, I said, the PT is there any good? He goes, well, if you go, you got to go on Friday because the guy that was there on Friday is really good, but don't ever go on Tuesday. The guy on Tuesday sucks. <laughs> so basically my goal since that point in my career is I don't want to be the Tuesday guy. I want to be the Friday yeah. guy, right? And yeah. so if any way to and, kind and, of wrap that up is like, there's a lot of Tuesday guys out there don't be the Tuesday guy, be the Friday guy. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, uh, I don't think we could end on uh, anything better than that. So um, any other words of wisdom there, Mr. Degatti? We feel like we're good for today, bud. Uh, that's it. But we're going to definitely be doing more of these where Mike and I kind of go on some rants and tangents. We have a bunch of different topics we're going to talk about related to programming and whether it's for certain populations or whether certain segments of programming that we're going to focus on. So we'll have more of those as well as our, our guests that continue to grow. And if you have any ideas for guests that you'd like to, to see or, or topics you'd like to talk about, please drop us a line, uh, give us a DM uh, and shoot it out to us because we want to continue to make this the best possible show that we can. But we want to continue Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.